good morning, Conduit. So I promised, um, I promised our Conduit kids volunteers, I promised the worship team, I promised all the site leaders for the Thanksgiving event um, that we would be done, <laughs> this is a big mistake, uh, that, uh, that we would be done by 11 o'clock today so that we could spend some time in prayer over the event, um, over the Thanksgiving event ahead of time. And then uh, get off to our respective sites and get get ready and get set. So, um, you know, and in case you were wondering, yes, today is the today this afternoon starting at two o'clock is the beginning of the Thanksgiving event that we've been um, praying for and preparing for and planning for and pouring resources and hours into. And uh, so that will kick off today at. Uh, two o'clock, and I'll give you some more information about that before we uh, before we end here today. But it is uh, a very, very important day. Um, it's an important day for uh, Conduit. It's an important day for the city, and it's an important day for uh, several reasons. One is because, like I talked about a little bit last week, you know, it's taken. Um, we've spent a lot of time in preparation. Right? The uh, just the, I mean. I would love to know the just the raw, the raw man hours, you know, the human resources that have been put into planning logistically and actually the event, just carrying turkeys or carrying bags or doing the grocery shopping or whatever, the hours and hours of work of dozens and dozens of people. Um, it's a big day because of you know the the um, the the financial resource spent or expended on it. You know, I um, was never, you know, it's never meant to be a, a secret about the, um, you know, what it takes uh, an event like this to, to pull off and a thousand turkeys and a thousand pies and a thousand pans and a thousand bags. You know, if we were to kind of add up everything that, you know, you who donated bags, who brought bags and like purchased them, you know, like a kind of a rough estimate, if we were to, you know, like, tally up all those numbers, we're in like the forty-five to $50,000 range to, to pull this whole, whole thing off. And so it's a, a, a significant investment all across the board, right? From your, from your, from your time, this, the, the man hours, you know, financially, like, uh, emotionally, like I, I was... I texted my staff, probably shouldn't have, at like 4 a.m. this morning. Like, I'm awake. Who else is awake? Right? Who's ready to go? Um, you know, just like that soul anticipation for something big. Um, and I think it's good and it's an okay thing to get excited about those, like to have that sense of anticipation for those types of things, you know, because it represents something that we've been working so hard towards, and it represents something that we've been talking a lot about. Um, but I, as I was thinking about, like, all right, Lord, why, why actually, why actually does it feel like such a kind of a big day? Why, why actually? Because it can't just be the time or the resources or the money, right? There's there's something else, Lord. I feel this like deep down in my spirit. Um, 
to like ask ask the Lord the question, like, what is it about a day like today that makes it so significant? Um, I think that the reason that a day like today is so significant is not just because of the work that's gone for the work that's gone into planning and now executing the event because I think this this serves these types of things serve as kind of watershed moments of a reminder of our identity and who we are. I'm not talking about our identity simply as a church, as conduit, right? But our our identity as followers of Jesus Christ, our identity as daughters and sons of the Father who has a plan to bring wholeness and redemption to the world. It reminds us, it should be a reminder of who God has called us to be from the very beginning. And so, more more than just an event, more than just a thing on the calendar, more than just a, a day or a thing that we participate in or that we try to plan, something that we do. It is like, it's sort of like a birthday, <laughs> reminding us of where we've come from, reminding us of who, who we belong, who we belong to, whose family we are a part of what our identity is as a people of God and as people of God. That that identity can be described in a lot of in a lot of different ways, and the reminder for us can be described in a lot of different ways. But listen, what 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 I want you to hear, right? What I want us to hear and be reminded of this morning, every morning, is this: is that that you that we are a holy people, the scripture says. We are, a, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy people. We are, we have been, we are set apart. And we as followers of Jesus Christ have been, are meant to display the goodness and the glory of God in the world. Now, particular for us, we have an opportunity to display the goodness and the glory of God today in four different sites across the city of Jamestown. But when we when we say this word holy, and I when I say as your pastor, I say you are holy. You are holy. We get this sometimes, this idea or this picture in our mind of what it means to be holy, right? Or what we think um, holiness is. And, and we, um, we, we get this like kind of uncomfortable sense about ourselves. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not really holy. Like I want to be holy, I, but I'm, I'm not there Yet, but holiness, as we're like, as both scripture uses it and as we're going to talk about it this morning, is not just the, like an, an identifiable way in which your spiritual character is being formed, but to be holy literally means to be set apart, meaning that it has special, it has special significance or 
special use. And God declared um, way back at the beginning of the people that he would call the family of God or the people of God that, that his people would be declared holy. That they would be set apart. That they would be separated. That they would be distinguishable from the rest of those whom were essentially in existence. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture this morning. These are ones that we've talked about before um, here at Conduit. If you have a Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 12. We'll have it, of course, on the screen for you here as well. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, this was at the very beginning of, uh, like, kind of the recorded or established relationship between God, the Father, right, and Abraham, or Abram, who would be the father of the Israelite nation, or the father of the the Jewish people. Uh, And he came to Abram, and he said this in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, Abram, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your father's household. Right? So, so, so leave, separate yourself from everything that you've known, everything that you've been, everything that has formed you, everything that has been comfortable or is comfortable for you. I want you to leave that all. And I'm going to, and I want you to go to the land that I will show you. Now, I mean, this is like, I want to say it's funny, not funny, the very non-specific place that God was telling Abraham to go. But I think if you spend any time in prayer asking the Lord, hey, Lord, give me direction, give me discernment, tell me what to do here, help me know how to, where to go, what to do, how to get there, whatever, and you get, a, you get an answer similar to, how God responded to Abram. Here, just go to the land that I will show you. It's like, well, <laughs> that's not really an answer, God. Like, where is, where is that place? But I think what it defines here is God's desire for Abraham to, or Abram to get moving. Instead of staying stuck in a place where he's been comfortable his whole life, He's with his family, he's with his household, he's in his country, right? Like, hey, what I want you to do, it's more important in this moment, Abraham, that I get you unstuck from the place that you are and get you moving. And as I get you moving, that expression of faith, just raw faithfulness, will help to guide you to the place where I will take you. I'm not going to tell you what that place is yet, because quite honestly, I think God was like, Abram, you ain't ready for it. You are not ready to know. You are not ready to experience. My people are not ready to know. They're not ready to experience the land that I have for them or the promise that I will have them. But let me tell you this, Abram, God said, and he goes on for the rest of the promise, which is the promise that the Israelite people built their entire nation off of, their whole faith off of, was this. God says, hey, look, I I will make you into a great 
nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And, I, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And they go, wow. How lucky Abram's family is. Like they got, they got this tremendous promise from God that he was going to bless them and make their name great. But it wasn't just like the promise of greatness and blessing that Abram and his descendants were to receive from God on that day, as if there was something extraordinarily special about Abraham as opposed to this guy over here or this guy over here or this guy over here, right? But what God was doing in this moment is he was maybe for the first time, like in covenant history, he was saying, Abram, I am making you holy. I am setting you apart from the rest. And that holiness, that set-apartness from the rest is not because I love you more. It's not because there's something extraordinarily special about you as opposed to, um, as opposed to this person over here. But the reason, right, the reason that I am setting you apart, the reason that I'm trying to distinguish you is because I am gathering unto myself a people that will bless the world. That will be a blessing. And it's qualified all the way throughout the promise to Abram. It's not that I will make your name great, and I will give you descendants, and I will give you land, and I will bless you just so that you can feel blessed. No, I am setting you apart. I am calling you holy. I am making a covenant with you because through you, the whole world will receive blessing from me. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God was establishing in his covenant and in his relationship with Abraham. He was establishing the conduit for his blessing to the entire world. His covenant people. His holy set apart people. I'm like, wow, well that's great and fantastic for the Jewish people. Right? But... I'm not a Jew. I'm not Jewish. I don't know if you're Jewish or not, um, but I'm guessing that there we don't have a large population of Jewish people here with us today. And so then the question becomes, okay, well, what about us non-Jews? What about us Gentiles? If this was the promise to the father, Abraham, of the Jewish nation, and then would then be the covenant promise that was passed on throughout generations through the 
uh, through the Jewish nation, then well, what about you and I who are not Jews but who have faith in Jesus Christ? Well, without like completely tearing apart the New Testament to, sh- to show you the full argument, right? This was essentially um, the ministry and the goal of the Apostle Paul. So all throughout the New Testament, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. All of these letters, you know, um, Romans, the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, his letters to Timothy, to the churches in Galatia, Ephesians, uh, Ephesus, Philippi, and Colossians, all of these letters are, are these letters of Paul describing, right, the, um, the bond or the fusing of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ and those who are part of the covenant promise of the Jewish people. And now, how they are not, in, in, in Christ, those two are not separate. But in Christ, those two have been brought together. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 14. It's a great example of this as Paul uh, communicates to the church in Galatia. He says this to them. He says, He, God, He redeemed us. And by us, He means like me and you and all those who would would believe by faith in Jesus for their salvation. He has redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So the same blessing that was given to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Right? So that you can be a blessing and that all people on earth will be blessed through you. He has redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You see, God, in the establishment of the Jewish people, was not saying, these people are my favorite, and therefore, they are my chosen people. But God, in the establishment of the Jewish people, was saying, okay, these are the people that are going to be the beginning of my, of the, that are going to be the conduit of blessing, my blessing, to the entire world. Fast forward. To Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ becomes the fulfillment. He becomes the He's the Jewish. He's the, He is the Messiah to the world. And now those you and I expressing faith in Jesus Christ become one with the promise that was given to Abraham and the Israelite people. That we now are one in the same. The two have become one. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. So what is Holiness. Holiness is this understanding, right? That you, that I, that we have been set apart by God. Holiness is not simply, see, we often see it, like I said, as some kind of unattainable measure of our spiritual character, but holiness is actually a measurable factor of our willingness to set aside our own purposes for our lives and pick up God's 
purpose for our life and understanding that he has created us and designed us and set us apart to be a blessing to others. I think of what it means to be to be set apart for a specific purpose. I think of like um, my wife and I uh, we've been married 17 years this past this past summer, and um, I remember when we were we were registering for our wedding. So like this was like before the heydays of like Amazon registries and stuff like that. Like they gave us like one of those little scanning guns and we would go to play like we would, I think we I think we registered at Bonton and remember what remember Bonton at Bonton and um and Sears and Walmart okay and I remember walking around those places and and in Bonton in particular we were like we came to the we came to the find find China section of Bonton we're like oh yeah, we need fine china, you know. <laughs> Us, you know, 21-year-old, right, didn't know anything about the world or anything, like lived above a garage for our first apartment. Yeah, we definitely need some fine china. Um, all right, so we'll register for fine china. And, of course, my grandma, who is a beautiful woman, uh, and I love her to death, she went all out and little... <laughs> Besides, we had no idea how much the China costs, but if had we known, we wouldn't have registered for it. Anyway, right, at 21 years old, we have this beautiful, like, platinum-rimmed China, like, large pl- dinner plate, salad plate, cup, saucer, and, like, all of the super, super nice stuff, right? And it's like, as I was thinking about this, I was like, um, you kind of only take that stuff out for really, really important or special purposes, right? Now that I have five kids, I'm like, nothing is special, okay? (laughs) 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 Nothing is special. It doesn't come out for anything, right? Because I know exactly what's going to happen when it comes out. But but the reality is, is like you you get this idea of like, like you have things that you kind of set apart for really specific or really special, or really, like, noble purposes in life. Super fancy dinner, right? Or, you know, fine, a fine dining experience, right? And what God, and what God has done, right? God has, like, given his church the, the proverbial stamp of fine china. Set apart, set apart to be a conduit and a blessing to the whole world. We are the fine china, so to speak, of God's mission to bring wholeness and redemption to the entire world. But it requires, listen, what does it require for us to do that? If that is our identity and that is our purpose, What does that require of us? It requires an extraordinary distinctiveness from the rest of the world. It is, there is no doubt that the 
the, the plastic plates that my family eats off during the week, right, is remarkably different, remarkably distinctive from the platinum-rimmed china that we registered for for our wedding, right? They're remarkably different. They cannot be confused. It's impossible to screw them up without saying, oh yeah, you can definitely tell the difference here. You can definitely tell that they are not the same thing. And holiness, being set apart, being being those uh, through whom God is establishing his mission in the world requires an incredible distinctiveness from you, from me, from us. Jesus described that distinctiveness of those who would believe by faith in him as as being like salt and light. Remember this from the Sermon on the Mount. I preached about this, I think it was August of last year. We were out there at the tent. We preached about salt and light. What did Jesus have to say about salt and light? Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus talks um, to his disciples, to those who were following him. He says this, He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So Jesus uses these two examples, this example of salt and this example of light, to describe the uh, or to define the absolute distinctiveness of in the world of those who would follow him. And if you have either, if, if you've ever been in a situation in the kitchen where you have either way over-salted something or put salt or, or didn't put salt in something that you were supposed to, you can tell the moment you take a bite of that food how distinctive the presence of salt makes a dish. You can immediately notice either its absence or its presence. Jesus uses a great example here when he talks about salt. But then he uses this example also of light. He's like, okay, if, if that didn't get through your mind, like the distinctiveness of salt in a dish, how about this? How about the presence of light? And he, he, kind, of talks, he kind of talks about light in, uh, in the context of the the purpose of a light or the purpose of a lamp. And he says this, he says, no one, um, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. You think about it, like, oh, it's really dark in here. All right, I'm going to light this lamp. Okay, it's all lit now, and now I'm going to take this bucket or this bowl, I'm going to put it over top of it. No one does that. Well, well, why? Why wouldn't you do that? Because that's not where a lamp belongs, right? The, the very purpose of a lamp is to, like, 
project its light. He said, so what do you do with a lamp once you light it? Well, you put it on its stand. You know, they would put oil lamps on stands back there because they didn't have, you know, obviously overhead lighting. So they put it on a stand and it would project light into the room. And why do you put it on its stand? Jesus tells us here. It gives light to everyone in the house. See, the light is not meant to be hidden. It's not meant to fade into the background of the darkness of the room. Just like the light that is within us is not meant to fade into the background of the darkness of the world. Just like salt is not meant to be indistinctive or undistinctive in a dish, either in excess or in absence. Both of those things are purposely meant to be absolutely distinctive, where they cannot be missed when they have been exercised in the purpose that God has given to them. You and I, us, the church, we are salt and we are light in a dark world. And if we are not absolutely distinctive from the world around us, then the same fate that Jesus talks about with the salt is true for the church. It is good for nothing rather than to be thrown away and trampled underfoot. Right? Our very purpose, the very, like, the very fabric of our identity as men and women and people who follow Jesus, who are a part of his church, is that we would be incredibly distinctive and set apart and, and, and noticeable above and beyond all other things to the world around us. Because that is the reason for which God has created us. And he says this. What is the purpose of light ultimately? Well, the purpose of the light is to bring, you know, to illuminate the room or to let everyone in the house see it. Actually, it's not. The purpose of light is what Jesus says in the final verse here. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And what? And praise, praise your Father in heaven. The purpose of our distinctiveness in the world is not so that we become distinctive, not so that we stand out, not so that people know our name, but it's so that they may see what comes from us and they may respond in praise and adoration and worship of our Father in heaven. We are to be a reflection of who is in us. Let your light, the light that is in you, shine that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's interesting that just like a chapter before the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, right at the beginning of, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right when he began to preach the Gospel, he was tempted, right? 
Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Matthew 4, verse 12. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land all the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee to the Gentiles. Listen, verse 16, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. The, the people, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. A light has dawned. Our purpose is to let the light of Jesus Christ that lives in us by faith shine like a lamp on a stand that it may bring light to all the dark corners of the world in which we live and that by that light people may see the Father and bring glory and praise to Him. That is what we do. That is who we are. That is our identity. Now, I know that there are many different ways that people um, have gotten involved in um, the event for today. And I know that not all of you are serving at a site, and that's, that's, that's fine. And I know that not all of you were able to bring a bag, and that's fine. And I know that not all of you were able to donate for the purchase of turkeys or pies and that's fine but i know i know that almost every single one of you had something to do with it you brought a bag or you donated some money or you're going to serve at a site or you can't um come today and so you came throughout the week to help pack bags i know like this was an all hands on deck type of thing and i i get that and i understand like and i it would take me a long time to, to actually be able to articulate my gratefulness and my thanks and my honor and my encouragement and my, like, everything to you for, for the way you've all come together for this. Right. I guess for, and for, a, for a moment, right, I, I, I want to maybe speak to some of you who are going to be involved in maybe one of the sites from today. today right? You're going to be face-to-face, eye-to-eye, hand-to-hand with a person who uh, is coming to receive uh, a meal. Turkey, pie, all the fixings for Thanksgiving. We talked about being holy today and about being set apart and about living distinctively, um, indiscri- uh, distinctive from the world Around us, from letting the light that's in us shine out, so that it brings it 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 illuminates the darkness of people's lives. What I'm asking you to do today is to be different today. Be different. Not 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 different than maybe you always are, right? But different different maybe than those who are coming to receive are expecting you to be. Maybe, maybe different from experiences that they've had with people who have 
claimed faith in Jesus before. Maybe be, be different from the world of darkness that they're accustomed to living in and being surrounded in and being overwhelmed by and drowning in. Be, be different. Display, display a different type of love because that's really what we're talking about when we say, hey, be distinctive, be different, be salt, be, be light. It's not that we're doing something in a like super creative, out-of-the-box way and that's why we're being different or we're being super weird or super over-the-top or super aggressive or, or, or different in that type of way. But no, the difference is made when we love people with a different type of love, a love that requires nothing from them in return, a love that requires, um, a, a love that requires even in the midst of maybe hate back, or misunderstanding, or argumentative, or being argumentative, right? Or or someone who comes to receive today and still maybe is not satisfied with what they've received. And they want more. Or they show ungratefulness. Right? What kind of distinctive, different type of love can we display in a moment like that? When we've put a lot of work and effort and resource into it and we provide this meal for this family and it's not enough. Or they want more or there's something like deep within their heart that's just antagonistic and what does it take for you and I to respond with gentleness and patience and kindness and compassion even maybe in the midst of attack be different be distinctive from the world don't respond like you may want to. <laughs> Don't respond like the flesh, right, like brings up in you. Respond out of the power of God's Spirit within you. Allow the light of Jesus Christ within you to come like just rushing out in that moment of darkness. Let Jesus shine through you. Because ultimately, people walk away with a representation of him. They walk away with a representation of him. And what we want to do is we want to, we want to rightly and truly and in, 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 in the power of the Holy Spirit express to them the love of God. We're going to spend, while the worship team is coming up, I want to spend a few moments. I did it. It's 10.59. Um, going by my watch. Uh, um, we're going to spend, I want to spend a few moments um, in prayer. Okay? Specifically, we're going to spend a few moments in prayer for every man, woman, and child who would receive a meal from us today. Okay? And this, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray 
that the Lord would literally give you a vision of a person. Show, show my face. I want to see their face, Lord. I want to know their name, like right now, Lord. That, that you know I need to be pressing into prayer for this person right now or for this family. Maybe I don't know them. I don't know who this family is. I don't know who this person is. I don't know who that individual is, Lord, but I know that I'm praying for them. And then if I happen to run into them today, I'm going to know, Lord, you brought that person here and they need prayed for. Because with this gift, we want them to carry home not just a meal to cook on Thursday, but we want them to carry home like the incarnate grace of, incarnate grace of God into their home. Like we are, we are asking, Lord, we are asking, Lord, that any blessing that you have given to us, any favor that you have given to us, Lord, that we may pass it on to every man, woman, and child that we meet with today. Lord, that they may take a piece of what you have given to us and that they may carry it into their home, Lord, and that the same spirit that you have given to us would, be, would bring peace into their home, would bring blessing into their homes, would bring favor into their homes, would bring healing and, and redemption, would bring, would bring forgiveness into their homes. Heavenly Father, we've got a thousand bags and a thousand turkeys and a thousand everything here today. It's just sitting ready. Lord, and you know every single person that will have even one bite of this food. Lord, be magnified in their lives. so overwhelmed with the power of your Holy Spirit today. They don't know what to do other than to surrender to you. May they go into their homes praising you, Father, for your provision. Thanking you for your goodness and graciousness to them. Lord, every bag I pray, I pray your blessing on right now in the name of Jesus. That every bag would remain strong as those groceries are being carried. That every volunteer would remain healthy as they're serving. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that not a single raindrop would fall starting at 2, 8, 2 p.m. until the event is done. your church Lord I pray that your church would be a light like a city on a hill a lamp on a stand that we Lord may give light to every dark corner of this city today that in illuminating the darkness with the light of Jesus Christ 
respond by giving glory and honor to you. Father, I trust you. We trust you, Lord, that these will not just be meals. Jesus' name.